Welcome to the Reality Revolution. I'm your host, Brian Scott. Today's episode is focused upon one of the most important concepts in reality creation. It's an age-old idea that has been fully discussed by the likes of Mitch Horowitz and Napoleon Hill. The definite chief aim, or chief definite aim, whatever you want to call it. I often get a question in my comments about manifesting, Brian, I have 12 things I want to manifest. I'd like to have a new car. I'd like to get a new house. I'd like to have a new boyfriend. I'd like to go on a certain trip. And so what should I do? Should I focus on one thing at a time? Anything that you think about starts the wheels turning on creating a reality for you. But there is genuine power in declaring a definite chief aim, in holding one thing above all other things. When you focus on a definite chief aim, all the other things may fall into place. You may be able to get that car and get that boyfriend, find that job, find that new vacation, whatever it is. And so I want to discuss the definite chief aim. In particular, I'm reading lesson two from the laws of success, which is where Napoleon Hill discusses this idea for the first time prior to Think and Grow Rich, in which he also discussed it several times. We can learn from Napoleon Hill's lesson on how to achieve your definite chief aim and the importance in focusing upon it. A definite chief aim. Now, the beginning of this lesson really focuses on the concept of the mastermind, which he discusses in the first lesson, and the concepts of success and power, giving examples of great leaders like Andrew Carnegie and focusing on the fact that they were able to create organized effort, looking at a mastermind focusing on a single idea. He then begins to talk more specifically about the definite chief aim in saying, that the keynote of this entire lesson is to be in the word definite. It is most appalling to know that 95% of the people of the world are drifting aimlessly through life without the slightest conception of the work for which they are best fitted. And with no conception whatsoever of even the need of such a thing as a definite objective toward which to strive. There is a psychological as well as economic reason for the selection of a definite chief aim in life. Let us devote our attention to the psychological side of the question first. It is a well-established principle of psychology that a person acts are always in harmony with the dominating thoughts of his or her mind. Any definite chief aim that is deliberately fixed in the mind and held there with the determination to realize it finally saturates the entire subconscious mind until it automatically influences the physical action of the body toward the attainment of that purpose. Your definite chief aim in life should be selected with deliberate care, and after it has been selected, it should be written out and placed where you will see it at least once a day, the psychological effect of which is to impress this purpose upon your subconscious mind so strongly that it accepts that purpose as a pattern or blueprint that will eventually dominate your activities in life and lead you step by step toward the attainment of the object back of that purpose. 
The principle of psychology through which you can impress your definite chief aim upon your subconscious mind is called auto-suggestion or suggestion, which you repeatedly make to yourself. It is a degree of self-hypnotism, but do not be afraid of it on that account. For it was this same principle through which the aid of which Napoleon lifted himself from the lowly station of poverty-stricken Corsican to the dictatorship of France. It was through the aid of this same principle that Thomas A. Edison has risen from the lowly beginning of a news butcher to where he is accepted as the leading inventor of the world. It was through the aid of this same principle that Lincoln bridged the mighty chasm between his lowly birth in a log cabin in the mountains of Kentucky and the presidency of the greatest nation on earth. It was through the aid of this same principle that Theodore Roosevelt became one of the most aggressive leaders that ever reached the presidency of the United States. You need have no fear of the principle of auto-suggestion as long as you are sure that the objective for which you are striving is one that will bring you happiness of an enduring nature. Be sure that your definite purpose is constructive, that its attainment will bring hardship and misery to no one, that it will bring you peace and prosperity. Then apply to the limit of your understanding the principle of self-suggestion for the speedy attainment of this purpose. On the street corner, just opposite the room in which I am writing, I see a man who stands there all day long and sells peanuts. He is busy every minute. When not actually engaged in making a sale, he is roasting and packing the peanuts in little bags. He's one of that great army constituting the 95% who have no definite purpose in life. He is selling peanuts, not because he likes that work better than anything else he might do, but because he never sat down and thought out a definite purpose that would bring him greater returns for his labor. He is selling peanuts because he is a drifter on the sea of life. And one of the tragedies of his work is the fact that the same amount of effort that he puts into it, if directed along other lines, would bring him much greater returns. Another one of the tragedies of this man's work is the fact that he is unconsciously making use of the principle of self-suggestion, but he is doing it to his own disadvantage. No doubt if a picture could be made of his thoughts, there would be nothing in that picture except a peanut roaster, some little paper bags, and a crowd of people buying peanuts. This man could get out of the peanut business if he had the vision and the ambition first to imagine himself in a more profitable calling and the perseverance to hold that picture before his mind until it influenced him to take the necessary steps to enter a more profitable calling. He put sufficient labor into his work to bring him a substantial return if that labor were directed toward the attainment of a definite purpose that offered bigger returns. One of my closest personal friends is one of the best-known writers and public speakers of this country. About 10 years ago, he got sight of the possibilities of this principle of self-suggestion and began immediately to harness it and put it to work. He worked out a plan for its application that proved to be very effective. At that time, he was neither a writer nor a speaker. Either night, just before going to sleep, he would shut his eyes and see, in his imagination, a long council table at which he placed in his imagination certain well-known men whose characteristics he wished to absorb into his own personality. At the end of the table, he placed Lincoln, and on either side of the table, he placed Napoleon, Washington, Emerson, and Albert Hubbard. He then proceeded to talk to these imaginary figures 
that he had seated at his imaginary council table, something after this manner. Mr. Lincoln, I desire to build my own character, those qualities of patience and fairness toward all mankind, and the keen sense of humor, which were your outstanding characteristics. I need these qualities, and I shall not be contented until I have developed them. Mr. Washington, I desire to build in my own character those qualities of patriotism and self-sacrifice and leadership, which were your outstanding characteristics. Mr. Emerson, I desire to build in my own character those qualities of vision and the ability to interpret the laws of nature as written in the rocks of prison walls and growing trees and flowing brooks and growing flowers and the faces of little children, which were your outstanding characteristics. Napoleon, I desire to build in my own character those qualities of self-reliance and the strategic ability to master obstacles and profit by mistakes and develop strength out of defeat, which were your outstanding characteristics. Mr. Hubbard, I desire to develop the ability to equal and to even excel the ability which you possessed with which to express yourself in clear, concise, and forceful language. Night after night, for many months, this man saw these men seated around the imaginary council table until finally he had imprinted their outstanding characteristics upon his own subconscious mind so clearly that he began to develop a personality which was a composite of their personalities. The subconscious mind may be likened to a magnet, and when it has been vitalized and thoroughly saturated with any definite purpose, it has a decided tendency to attract all that is necessary for the fulfillment of that purpose. Like attracts like in every growing tree. The acorn attracts from the soil and the air the necessary materials out of which to grow an oak tree. It never grows a tree that is part oak and part poplar. Every grain of wheat that is planted in the soil attracts the materials out of which to grow a stalk of wheat. It never makes... A mistake and grows both oats and wheat on the same stock. And men are subject also to this same law of attraction. Go into any cheap boarding house district in any city, and there you will find people of the same general trend of mind associated together. On the other hand, go into any prosperous community, and there you will find people of the same general tendencies associated together. Men who are successful always seek the company of others who are successful, while men who are on the ragged side of life, always seek the company of those who are in similar circumstances. Misery loves company. Do not tell the world what you can do. Show it. Water seeks its level with no finer certainty than man seeks the company of those who occupy his own general status financially and mentally. A professor of Yale University and an illiterate hobo have nothing in common. They would be miserable if thrown together for any great length of time. Oil and water will mix as readily as will men who have nothing in common, all of which leads up to this statement, that you will attract to you people who harmonize with your own philosophy of life, whether you wish it or not. This being true, can you not see the importance of vitalizing your mind with a definite chief aim that will attract to you people who will be of help to you and not a hindrance? Suppose your definite chief aim is far above your present station in life. What of it? It is your privilege, nay, your duty to aim high in life. You owe it to yourself and to the community in which you live to set a high standard for yourself. There is much evidence to justify the belief that nothing within reason is beyond the possibility of attainment by man whose definite chief aim has been developed. 
some years ago, Louis Victor Itinge was given a life sentence in the Arizona penitentiary. At the time of his imprisonment, he was an all-around bad man, according to his own admissions. In addition to this, it was believed that he would die of tuberculosis within a year. Itinge had reason to feel discouraged, if anyone ever had. Public feeling against him was intense, and he did not have a single friend in the world who came forth and offered him encouragement or help. Then something happened in his own mind that gave him back his health, put the dreaded white plague to rout, and finally unlocked the prison gates and gave him his freedom. What was that something? Just this. He made up his mind to whip the white plague and regain his health. That was a very definite chief aim. In less than a year from the time the decision was made, he had won. Then he extended that definite chief aim by making up his mind to gain his freedom. Soon the prison walls melted from around him. No undesirable environment is strong enough to hold the man or woman who understands how to apply the principle of auto-suggestion in the creation of a definite chief aim. Such a person can throw off the shackles of poverty, destroy the most deadly disease germs, rise from a lowly station in life to power and plenty. All great leaders base their leadership upon a definite chief aim. Followers are willing followers when they know that their leader is a person with a definite chief aim who has the courage to back up that purpose with action. Even a bulky horse knows when a driver with a definite chief aim takes hold of the reins and yields to that driver. When a man with a definite chief aim starts through a crowd, everybody stands aside and makes way for him. But let a man hesitate and show by his action that he is not sure which way he wants to go and the crowd will step all over his toes and refuse to budge an inch out of his way. Nowhere is the lack of a definite chief aim more noticeable or more detrimental than it is in the relationship between parent and child. Children sense very quickly the wavering attitude of their parents and take advantage of that attitude quite freely. It is the same all through life. Men with a definite chief aim command respect and attention at all times. So much for the psychological viewpoint of a definite purpose. Let us now turn to the economic side of the question. If a steamship lost its rudder in mid-ocean and began circling around, it would soon exhaust its fuel supply without reaching shore, despite the fact that it would use up enough energy to carry it to shore and back several times. The man who labors without a definite purpose that is backed up by a definite plan for its attainment resembles the ship that has lost its rudder. Hard labor and good intentions are not sufficient to carry a man through to success, for how many a man be sure that he has attained success unless he has established in his mind some definite object that he wishes. Every well-built house started in the form of a definite purpose plus a definite plan in the nature of a set of blueprints. Imagine what would happen if one tried to build a house by the haphazard method without plans. Workmen would be in each other's way. Building material would be piled all over the lot before the foundation was completed. And everybody on the job would have a different notion as to how the house ought to be built. Result, chaos, and misunderstandings, and costs that would be prohibitive. Yet, had you ever stopped to think that most people finish school, take up employment, or enter a trade or profession without the slightest conception of anything that even remotely resembles a definite purpose or a definite plan. In view of the fact that science has provided 
reasonably accurate ways and means of analyzing character and determining the life work for which people are best fitted? Does it not seem a modern tragedy that 95% of the adult population of the world is made up of men and women who are failures because they have not found their proper niches in the world's work? If success depends upon power, and if power is organized effort, and if the first step in the direction of organization is definite purpose, then one may easily see why such a purpose is essential. Until a man selects a definite purpose in life, he dissipates his energies and spreads his thoughts over so many subjects and in so many different directions that they lead not to power but to indecision and weakness. With the aid of a small reading glass, you can teach yourself a great lesson on the value of organized effort. Through the use of such a glass, you can focus the sun rays on a definite spot so strongly that they will burn a hole through a plank. Remove the glass, which represents the definite purpose, and the same rays of sun may shine on that same plank for a million years without burning it. A thousand electric dry batteries, when properly organized and connected together with wires, will produce enough power to run a good-sized piece of machinery for several hours. Take the same cells singly, disconnected, and not one of them would exert enough energy to turn the machinery over once. The faculties of your mind might properly be likened to those dry cells. When you organize your faculties according to the plan laid down in the 16 lessons of this reading course of the law of success, direct them toward the attainment of a definite purpose in life. You then take advantage of the cooperative or accumulative principle out of which power is developed, which is called organized effort. Andrew Carnegie's advice was this, place all your eggs in one basket and then watch the basket to see that no one kicks it over. By that advice, he meant, of course, that we should not dissipate any of the energies by engaging in sidelines. Carnegie was a sound economist, and he knew that most men would do well if they so harnessed and directed their energies that some one thing would be done well. When the plan back of this reading course was first born, I remember taking the first manuscript to a professor of the University of Texas, and in spirit of enthusiasm, I suggested to him that I had discovered a principle that would be of aid to me in every public speech I delivered thereafter, because I would be better prepared to organize and marshal my thoughts. He looked at the outline of the 15 points for a few minutes, then turned to me and said, yes, your discovery is going to help you make better speeches, but that is not all it will do. It will help you become a more effective writer, for I have noticed in your previous writings a tendency to scatter your thoughts. For instance, if you started to describe a beautiful mountain yonder in the distance, you would be apt to sidetrack your description by calling attention to a beautiful bed of wildflowers or a running brook or a singing bird detouring here and there, zigzag fashion, before finally arriving at the proper point from which to view the mountain. In the future, you are going to find it much less difficult to describe an object, whether you're speaking or writing, because your 15 points represent the very foundation of organization. The best compensation for doing things is the ability to do more. A man who had no legs once met a man who was blind. To prove conclusively that the lame man was a man of vision, he proposed to the blind man that they form an alliance. They would be of great benefit to both. You let me climb upon your back, said he to the blind man. Then I will use your legs, and you may use my eyes. Between the two of us, we will get along more rapidly. Out of allied effort comes great power. 
This is a point that is worthy of much repetition, because it forms one of the most important parts of the foundation of this course. The great fortunes of the world have been accumulated through the use of this principle of allied effort. That which one man can accomplish single-handedly during an entire lifetime is but a meager at best, no matter how well organized that man may be. But that which one may accomplish through the principle of alliance with other men is practically without limitation. That mastermind to which Carnegie referred during my interview with him was made up of more than a score of minds. In that group were men of practically every temperament and inclination. Each man was there to play a certain part, and he did nothing else. There was a perfect understanding and teamwork between these men. It was Carnegie's business to keep harmony among them, and he did it wonderfully well. If you are familiar with the game of football, you know, of course, that the winning team is the one that best coordinates the efforts of its players. Teamwork is the thing that wins. It is the same in the great game of life. In your struggle for success, you should keep constantly in mind the necessity of knowing what it is that you want, of knowing precisely what is your definite purpose. And the value of the principle of organized effort in the attainment of that which constitutes your definite purpose. In a vague sort of way, nearly everyone who has a definite purpose, namely the desire for money. This is not a definite purpose within the meaning of the term as it is used in this lesson. Before your purpose could be considered definite, even though that purpose were the accumulation of money, you'd have to reach a decision as to the precise method through which you intend to accumulate that money. It would be insufficient for you to say that you would make money by going into some sort of business. You would have to decide just what line of business. You would also have to decide where you would locate. You would have to decide the business policies under which you would conduct your business. In answering the question, what is your definite purpose in life, that appears in the questionnaire, which I've used for the analysis of more than 16,000 people. Many answered as follows. My definite purpose in life is to be of as much service to the world as possible and earn a good living. That answer is about as definite as a frog's conception of the size of the universe is accurate. The object of this lesson is not to inform you as to what your life's work should be, for indeed, this could be done with accuracy only after you have been completely analyzed, but it is intended as a means of impressing upon your mind a clear conception of the value of a definite purpose of some nature and of the value of understanding the principle of organized effort as a means of attaining the necessary power with which to materialize your definite purpose. Careful observation of the business philosophy of more than 100 men and women who have attained outstanding success in their respective callings disclose the fact that each was a person of prompt and definite decision. The habit of working with a definite chief aim will breed in you the habit of prompt decision, and this habit will come to your aid in all that you do. Moreover, the habit of working with a definite chief aim will help you to concentrate all your attention on any given task until you've mastered it. Concentration of effort and the habit of working with a definite chief aim are two of the essential factors in success which are always found together. One leads to the other. The best-known successful businessmen were all men or women of prompt decision who worked always with one main outstanding purpose as their chief aim. Some notable examples are as follows. Woolworth chose as his definite chief aim the belting of America with a chain of five and ten cent stores and concentrated his mind upon this one task until he made it 
and made it him. Wrigley concentrated his mind on the production and sale of a five-cent package of chewing gum and turned this one idea into millions of dollars. Edison concentrated upon the work of harmonizing natural laws and made his efforts uncover more useful inventions than any other man who ever lived. Henry L. Doherty concentrated upon the building and operation of public utility plants and made himself a multimillionaire. Ingersoll concentrated on a dollar watch and girdled the earth with tickers and made this one idea yield him a fortune. Statler concentrated on home-like hotel service and made himself wealthy as well as useful to millions of people who use his service. Edwin C. Barnes concentrated on the sale of Edison dictating machines and retired while still a young man with more money than he needs. Woodrow Wilson concentrated his mind on the White House for 25 years and became its chief tenant thanks to his knowledge of the value of sticking to a definite chief aim. Lincoln concentrated his mind on freeing the slaves and became our greatest American president while doing it. Martin W. Littleton heard a speech which filled him with the desire to become a great lawyer, concentrated his mind on that one aim, and is now said to be the most successful lawyer in America, whose fees for a single case seldom fall below $50,000. Rockefeller concentrated on oil and became the richest man of his generation. Carnegie concentrated on steel and made his efforts build a great fortune and plastered his name on public libraries throughout America. Gillette concentrated on a safety razor, gave the entire world a close shave, and made himself a multimillionaire. Anyone can start, but only the thoroughbred will finish. Millions of people are concentrating daily on poverty and failure and getting both in overabundance. Wright Brothers concentrated on the airplane and mastered the air. Pullman concentrated on the sleeping car and the idea made him rich and millions of people comfortable in travel. Thus, it will be seen that all who succeed work with some definite outstanding aim as the object of their labors. There is some one thing that you can do better than anyone else in the world could do it. Search until you find out what this particular line of endeavor is. Make it the object of your definite chief aim and then organize all of your forces and attack it with the belief that you are going to win. In your search for the work for which you are best fitted, it will be well if you bear in mind the fact that you will most likely attain the greatest success by finding out what work you will like best. For it is well-known fact that a man generally best succeeds in the particular line of endeavor into which he can throw his whole heart and soul. Let us go back for the sake of clarity and emphasis to the psychological principles upon which this lesson is founded, because it will mean a loss you can ill afford if you fail to grasp the real reason of establishing a definite chief aim in your mind. These principles are as follows. First, every voluntary movement of the human body is caused, controlled, and directed by thought through the operation of the mind. Second, the presence of any thought or idea in your consciousness tends to produce an associated feeling and to urge you to transform that feeling into appropriate muscular action that is in perfect harmony with the nature of the thought. For example, if you think of winking your eyelids and there are no counter-influences or thoughts in your mind at the time to arrest action, the motor nerve will carry out your thought from the seat of government in your brain and appropriate or corresponding muscular action takes place immediately. Stating this principle from another angle, you choose, for example, a definite purpose as your life work and make up your mind that you will carry out that purpose. 
from the very moment that you make this choice this purpose becomes the dominating thought in your consciousness and you are constantly on the alert for facts information and knowledge with which to achieve that purpose from the time that you plant a definite purpose in your mind your mind begins both consciously and unconsciously to gather and store the material with which you are to accomplish that purpose desire is the factor which determines what your definite purpose in life shall be no one can select your dominating desire for you but once you select it yourself it becomes your definite chief aim and occupies the spotlight of your mind until it is satisfied by transformation into reality unless you permit it to be pushed aside by conflicting desires to emphasize the principle that i am here to make clear i believe it is not unreasonable to suggest that to be sure of successful achievement one's definite chief aim in life should be backed up with a burning desire for its achievement i have noticed that boys and girls who enter college and pay their way through by working seem to get more out of their schooling than do those whose expenses are paid for them the secret of this may be found in the fact that those who are willing to work their way through are blessed with a burning desire for education and such a desire if the object of the desire is within reason is practically sure of realization science has established beyond the slightest room for doubt that through the principle of autosuggestion any deeply rooted desire saturates the entire body and mind with the nature of the desire and literally transforms the mind into a powerful magnet that will attract the object of the desire if it be within reason for the enlightenment of those who might not properly interpret the meaning of this statement i will endeavor to state this principle in another way for example merely desiring an automobile will not cause that automobile to come rolling in but if there's a burning desire for an automobile that desire will lead to appropriate action through which an automobile may be paid for merely desiring freedom would never release a man who is confined in prison if it were not sufficiently strong to cause him to do something to entitle himself to freedom these are the steps leading from desire to fulfillment first the burning desire then the crystallization of that desire into a definite purpose then sufficient appropriate action to achieve that purpose remember that these three steps are always necessary to ensure success i once knew a very poor girl who had a burning desire for a wealthy husband and she finally got him but not without having transformed that desire into the development of a very attractive personality which in turn attracted the desired husband i once had a burning desire to be able to analyze character accurately and that desire was so persistent and so deeply seated that it practically drove me into 10 years of research and study of men and women george s parker makes one of the best fountain pens in the world and despite the fact that his business is conducted from the little city of janesville wisconsin he has spread his product all the way around the globe and he has his pen on sale in every civilized country in the world more than 20 years ago mr parker's definite purpose was established in his mind and that purpose was to produce the best fountain pen that money could buy he backed that purpose with a burning desire for its realization and if you carry a fountain pen the chances are you have evidence in your possession that it has brought him an abundant success you are a contractor and a builder and like men who build houses out of mere wood and brick and steel you must draw up a set of plans after which to shape your success building you are living in a wonderful age 
when the materials that go into success are plentiful and cheap. You have at your disposal in the archives of the public libraries the carefully compiled results of 2,000 years of research covering practically every possible line of endeavor in which one would wish to engage. If you would become a preacher, you have at hand the entire history of what has been learned by men who have preceded you in this field. If you would become a mechanic, you have at hand the entire history of the inventions of machines and the discovery and usages of metals and things metallic in nature. If you become a lawyer, you have at your disposal the entire history of law procedure. This lesson will not be completed until you have made your choice as to what your definite chief aim in life is to be, and then recorded a description of that purpose in writing and placed it where you may see it every morning when you arise and every night when you retire. Procrastination is but why preach about it. You know that you are the hewer of your own wood and the drawer of your own water and the shaper of your own definite chief aim in life. Therefore, why dwell upon that which you already know? A definite purpose is something that you must create for yourself. No one else will create it for you and it will not create itself. What are you going to do about it and when and how? Every line a man writes and every act in which he indulges and every word he utters serves as unescapable evidence of the nature of that which is deeply embedded in his own heart, a confession that he cannot disavow. Start now to analyze your desires and find out what it is you wish, then make up your mind to get it. Nothing is left to chance. Every step is marked plainly. Your part is to follow the directions until you arrive at your destination, which is represented by your definite chief aim. Make that aim clear and back it up with persistence, which does not recognize the word impossible. When you come to select your definite chief aim, just keep in mind the fact that you cannot aim too high. Also keep in mind the never varying truth that you'll get nowhere if you start nowhere. If your aim in life is vague, your achievements will also be vague. And it may well be added very meager. Know what you want when you want it, why you want it, and how you intend to get it. This is known to teachers and students of psychology as the WWWH formula. What, when, why, and how. Listen to this lesson four times at intervals of one week apart. You will see much in the lesson the fourth time you hear it that you did not hear in the first time. Your success in mastering this and in making it bring you success will depend very largely, if not entirely, upon how well you follow the instructions. Do not set up your own rules of study. Follow those laid down in this course, as they are the result of years of thought experimentation. If you wish to experiment, wait until you master this course in the manner suggested by the author. If you follow the instructions laid down in this course, the guidance of its students, you can no more fail than water can run uphill above the level of its source. Instructions for applying the principles of this lesson. Through the introductory lesson of this course, you became familiar with the principle of psychology known as the mastermind. You are now ready to begin use of this principle as a means of transforming your definite chief aim into reality. It must have occurred to you that one might as well have no definite chief aim unless one has also a very definite and practical plan for making that aim become a reality. Your first step is to decide what your major aim in life shall be. 
Your next step is to write out a clear, concise statement of this aim. This should be followed by a statement in writing of the plan or plans through which you intend to attain the object of your aim. Your next and final step will be the forming of an alliance with some person or persons who will cooperate with you in carrying out these plans and transforming your definite chief aim into reality. The purpose of this friendly alliance is to employ the law of the mastermind in support of your plans. The alliance should be made between yourself and those who have your highest and best interest at heart. If you're a married man, your wife should be one of the members of this alliance, providing there exists between you a normal state of confidence and sympathy. Other members of this alliance may be your mother, father, brother, or sisters, or some close friend or friends. If you're a single person, your sweetheart, if you have one, should become a member of your alliance. This is no joke. You are now studying one of the most powerful laws of the human mind, and you will serve your own best interests by seriously and earnestly following the rules laid down in this lesson, even though you may not be sure where they will lead you. Those who join with you in the formation of a friendly alliance for the purpose of aiding you in the creation of a mastermind should sign with you your statement of your object of your definite chief aim. Every member of your alliance must be fully acquainted with the nature of your object in forming the alliance. Moreover, every member must be in hearty accord with this object and in full sympathy with you. Each member of your alliance must be supplied with a written copy of your statement of your definite chief aim. With this exception, however, you are explicitly instructed to keep the object of your chief aim to yourself. The world is full of doubting Thomases, and it will do your cause no good to have those rattle-brained people scoffing at you and your ambitions. Remember, what you need is friendly encouragement and help, not derision and doubt. If you believe in prayer, you are instructed to make your definite chief aim the object of your prayer at least once every 24 hours, and more often if convenient. If you believe there is a God who can and will aid those who are earnestly striving to be of constructive service to the world, surely you feel you have the right to petition him for aid in the attainment of what should be the most important thing in life to you. If those who have been invited to join your friendly alliance believe in prayer, ask them also to include the object of this alliance as a part of their daily prayer. Comes now one of the most essential rules which must follow. Arrange with one or all the members of your friendly alliance to state to you in the most positive and definite terms at their command that they know you can and will achieve the object of your definite chief aim. This affirmation or statement should be made to you at least once a day, more often if possible. These steps must be followed persistently with full faith that they will lead you where you wish to go. It will not suffice to carry out these plans for a few days or a few weeks and then discontinue them. You must follow the described procedure until you attain the object of your definite chief aim regardless of the time required. From time to time, it may become necessary to change the plans you have adopted for the achievement of the object of your definite chief aim. Make these changes without hesitation. No human being has sufficient foresight to build plans which need no alteration or change. If any member of your friendly alliance loses faith in the law known as the mastermind, immediately remove that member and replace him or her with some other person. Andrew Carnegie stated to the author of this course that he had found it necessary to replace some of the members of his mastermind 
In fact, he stated that practically every member of whom his alliance was originally composed had in time been removed and replaced with some other person who could adapt himself more loyally and enthusiastically to the spirit and object of the alliance. Yes, he succeeded, but he almost failed. So did Robert Fulton and Abraham Lincoln and nearly all the others whom we call successful. No man ever achieved worthwhile success who did not at one time or other find himself with at least one foot hanging well over the brink of failure. You cannot succeed when surrounded by disloyal and unfriendly associates, no matter what may be the object of your definite chief aim. Success is built upon loyalty, faith, sincerity, cooperation, and the other positive forces which one must surcharge this environment. Many of the students of this course will want to form friendly alliances with those with whom they are associated professionally or in business with the object of achieving success in their business or profession. In such cases, the same rules of procedure which have been here described should be followed. The object of your definite chief aim may be one that will benefit you individually or it may be one that will benefit the business or profession with which you are connected. The law of the mastermind will work the same in either case. If you fail either temporarily or permanently in the application of this law, it will be for the reason that some member of your alliance did not enter into the spirit of the alliance with faith, loyalty, and sincerity of purpose. The last sentence is worthy of second reading. The object of your definite chief aim should become your hobby. You should ride this hobby continuously. You should sleep with it, eat with it, play with it, work with it, live with it, and think with it. Whatever you want, you may get, if you want it with sufficient intensity, and keep on wanting it, providing the object wanted is one within reason, and you actually believe you will get it. There is a difference between, however, merely wishing for something and actually believing you will get it. Lack of understanding of this difference has meant failure to millions of people. The doers are the believers in all walks of life. Those who believe they can achieve the object of their definite chief aim do not recognize the word impossible. Neither do they acknowledge the temporary defeat. They know they are going to succeed, and if one plan fails, they quickly replace it with another plan. If there is one word which should stand out in your mind in connection with this lesson, it is the word persistence. You now have within your possession the pass key to achievement. You have but to unlock the door to the temple of knowledge and walk in. But you must go to the temple. It will not come to you. If these laws are new to you, the going will not be easy at first. You will stumble many times, but keep moving. Very soon you will come to the brow of the mountain. You have been climbing, and you will behold in the valleys below the richest state of knowledge, which shall be your reward for your faith and efforts. Everything has a price. There is no such possibility as something for nothing. In your experiments with the law of the mastermind, you are jockeying with nature in her highest and noblest form. Nature cannot be tricked or cheated. She will give up to you the object of your struggles only after you have paid her price, which is continuous unyielding, persistent effort. What more could be said on the subject? You have been shown what to do, when to do it, how to do it, and why you should do it. If you will master this next lesson on self-confidence, you will then have the faith in yourself to enable you to carry out the instructions laid down for your guidance. Master of human destinies am I. Fame, love, and fortune on my footsteps wait. 
Cities and fields I walk I penetrate, deserts and seas remote and passing by, hovel and mart and palace soon or late. I knock unbidden once at every gate. If sleeping wake, if feasting rise before, I turn away. It is the hour of fate, and they who follow me reach every state. Mortals desire and conquer every foe, save death, but those who doubt or hesitate. Condemned to failure, penury, and woe, seek me in vain and uselessly implore. I answer not, and I return no more. Ingalls, neglecting to broaden their view, has kept some men doing one thing all their lives. This concludes Napoleon Hill's lesson on a definite chief aim. I don't know where you're at in your current life goal and your current journey. For some of you, you have no desire to set a goal and that's fine. But if you are out there and you have set a goal and you have some chief definite aim, some innate desire that you are focusing on, and you've written down a clear and concise statement, you can follow these lessons to help you. You can begin to gather people around you. These are people that are loyal to you that you can share this with. There is some caution given. You don't share your object of your definite chief aim, but you can certainly share your definite chief aim. What is the definition of the difference of those things? That's the underlying goal, I guess. But I would be careful with who you gather in your mastermind because he explains they can be incredibly helpful in guiding you towards your goal. And they can also be very much of a hindrance as well. But your energies that you're focusing all go towards this one thing and it will come to pass. Anytime that you focus all parts of your personality and all people around you on one definite chief aim, that is when the transformation can begin. So I would like for you in the comments to write down in a concise statement, what is your definite chief aim? How are you going to achieve it? Go through the process of focusing on what it is that you want. There's some amazing examples given here of people throughout history that have applied this principle of moving towards the definite chief aim. I have found when you let all of your thoughts and life and energy focus on one thing, it will always come to pass. So if you found yourself wanting multiple things and really putting your energies into multiple things, you might have diluted your ability to change your reality in the ways that you want. So for now, back up a little bit. And oftentimes, if you pick one really powerful, definite chief aim, a lot of the other things can come about as well. Maybe you find that business that you want and it brings you to the love of your life and it gives you the ability to go on that vacation or to buy that car. Go about determining what it is you truly want. There's something that's uniquely special about you, a service that you can offer that nobody else in the world can offer. And I promise you, if you apply this principle where you focus your intention like a laser, it will come to pass and the whole entire world will work to make it so. You can find all episodes of The Reality Revolution, therealityrevolution.com, and welcome to The Reality Revolution.